thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Naked scientist. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm good. Yeah, I've been away myself as well, so it's lovely to be reunited with you. We're <laughs> going to start this week, Chris, with a fascinating story about um, how we may, what is it, understand what dictates uh, potential responses to cancer treatment in patients? Yeah, that's right. So cancer is very important. It affects about one person in every three in the population. And therefore, trying to develop new treatments for it and work out how to make the treatments we do have work as well as they can do is a high priority. Now, one new kid on the biological block for treating cancer is what's called immunotherapy. And this is where you give various treatments that persuade the immune system to start attacking cancer to cure people. In some people, it works incredibly well, and there have been people cured of malignant melanoma, one kind of skin cancer, for example, in the past using this technique. On the other hand, there are other patients who do less well, and we don't really know why there's that difference. Or do we? Because this week there's a very interesting paper, it's in the journal Science, and it's by a researcher called Jennifer Wargo and her colleagues there at the University of Texas, and they have discovered that the spectrum of bacteria that live in your intestine have a strong influence over whether or not this so-called immunotherapy will work. The way they did this is to get a big group, more than 100 people with malignant melanoma, skin cancer, and they looked at the bugs that these people carried in their intestines and then they looked at whether or not they responded to immunotherapy and when they looked at the two groups of responders versus non-responders those individuals who were responders had a characteristically broad and diverse spectrum of bugs in their gut and they had certain characteristic changes in those bugs in other words they, they carried a specific type of bacterial spectrum that was very distinct from the individuals that didn't respond so well to the therapy. And this suggests that in some way these bacteria are influencing the immune system and making it more prone to attack cancer, given the chance, than in people who don't have these changes. And they're tantalisingly hinting in the paper that it might be possible in future to give people a transpusion, in other words a faecal transplant, so that their gut bugs do resemble those of individuals who are better at fighting cancer and this may improve people's responses in future to these sorts of new therapies. Absolutely fascinating. Our first question, Chris, comes from David in Cyrildine. David, good morning to you. Good morning to you. I have a book called Exploring Space and it states there that as a result of the Big Bang, there are galaxies exceeding the speed of light and receding from us. At the same time, we had been told that you cannot exceed the speed of light. Now, what is the truth? Can can the speed of light be exceeded? Hello, okay, David. Good question. Thank you, David. Um, the answer is that uh, Einstein says that the speed limit in the universe is the speed of light, c, and you can't go faster than that. In other words, you can't move matter faster than that because as you as you give something more energy because it's moving faster, then you need to give it even more energy to accelerate it to a higher speed, and therefore, eventually, the amount of energy you need is infinite. So you'll never get to the speed of light. 
That said, um, what the university is doing when it's growing, because we know the university is growing all the time, it grew in its infancy very, very fast. It's still growing now, and as far as we can tell, it's growing faster all the time again now. And we know that because of work that Hubble did um, in the last 100 years, and that's where we get the Hubble constant from, the idea that the universe is, is expanding. That doesn't mean that the galaxies are moving faster away from us it means that the intervening space between us and them is getting bigger so you can imagine if i injected more space between me and them it doesn't mean they have to move in order to for that distance to increase it could just be that the space the physical amount of separation is therefore greater so that's one explanation for why something could look like it was going away from you faster than the speed of light but it isn't actually moving it's just that the space between you and it has appeared and is is growing faster it's certainly true that at the outskirts of the universe the universe is uh, is receding from us at faster and faster rates and certainly can grow faster than the speed of light because you're not physically moving anything when it grows you're just making more universe okay thanks so much for your question eddie in alberton good morning eddie uh morning you cbs hi chris uh, Chris, my, my question is about uh, tetraneutrons. Uh, it seems that uh, a cluster of, of four neutrons, uh, it, it's a sort of a hypothetical grouping of, of neutrons, and uh, nobody seems to be sure if this actually exists. Uh, what I've read is that in, in 2001, uh, a fellow by the name of Francisco Miguel Marx uh, did an experiment where he claimed to have detected uh, a cluster of um, of four neutrons uh, clustered together when he uh, used the Ganel uh, accelerator in Cannes in France. Uh, so he, he did a collision with particles and, and he, he claimed to have, to have detected this cluster of four neutrons. Now it seems that uh, nobody's been able to replicate that, although I've read a little bit that uh, in 2016 uh, some researchers in Japan seem to be able to to get uh, to replicate this experiment i wonder if you could if you could tell me if this cluster does exist or if it is still uh, hypothetical i must admit i've not heard about this but it does sound like it might be an edge case or a bit marginal if it hasn't been replicated because one of the most important things about science is that you have to be able to replicate things and um, when we publish something we then are inviting other scientists to follow our lead and see if they can confirm what we think we've seen and if they therefore agree with our interpretation of what we've seen if this hasn't been repeatedly confirmed or uh, other people haven't supported it then it may well be that the person who announced this initial discovery had been misled if you imagine or if you remember a couple of years ago scientists in i think it was italy thought that they had sent neutrinos faster than the speed of light and then they discovered that there was a cable unplugged on the back of their computer i'm, I'm being slightly facetious but it but it was down <laughs> to a uh, data transmission going awry yeah. um so i i would invite you, if you have a reference, to send it to me, and I'll certainly take a look. I'm not familiar with the situation or the research, but I'll certainly take a look if you'd like me to. Okay, we just lost him there, but if you do have a reference, please do give it, and Chris will do a follow-up there. Let's go to Lanasia. Anthony, good morning to you. Have you got a question for Chris? Um, yeah, I wanted to ask him, why is it that um, water come out of your eyes and not other liquids like urine, blood, or semen? Why water in particular? <laughs> Chris, did you get that question? Um, are you suggesting that water, as in tears, comes out of your eyes? Yes. 
yeah. Um, the reason we have water coming out of our eyes is because you're crying and you're, you're crying tears. Where do the tears come from? Well, the Latin word for tears or crying is lacrimo, means I cry, that's the verb. And you have a lacrimal gland uh, above and to the outside edge of each eye. So on each side of your head, roughly where your eyebrow ends is your lacrimal gland. This is supplied with blood and the blood is filtered and the liquid, the watery part of blood, the plasma, is filtered into the tubes in the gland and that makes the watery substance that we call tears. It's not pure water. There are some antibodies in there. There are various salts and other chemicals and proteins and a jelly-like protein called mucin and this lubricates the eye. It runs into your eye and it uh, does a very good job of making your eye stay clean, stay germ-free and also wash away any other nasties and lubricate the eye. Okay, there you have your answer, Anthony. Why, Anthony, are you there? I'm here, I'm here. Why on earth would you want <laughs> semen to come out of your eyes, dude? <laughs> I was just asking because it's so no. <laughs> weird that only water comes out and nothing else. Yeah, no, no, I hear you on that one. Marius, good morning to you. What is your question? So, if I cut my finger, the cup closes by itself. If I give somebody part of my liver... It sort of grows back, right? Hmm. Why do people die then if the body repairs itself and replaces itself and whatnot? Why do people die? The answer to this is that um, we're not comparing apples with apples here. When you make a trivial injury to your skin, like a cut, or even a surgeon cuts through the skin, it can repair itself. And this is because the skin has stem cells underneath the area that's been damaged, they are capable of growing very rapidly and they just fill in the gap that's been made with more of the same because the the damage that's been done is to a bunch of cells that are pretty much all the same. Now, if you disrupt the architecture of the skin too much, in other words, you go through multiple layers of the skin, then you could get a scar, but all the same, you're just filling in the hole with lots of skin cells. If we damage a more complicated part of the body, so say instead of just taking off the skin, you accidentally chopped off the end of your finger... That's not just one simple type of cell. There are lots of cell types in there. You've got the cells that make the skin surface, the epidermis. You've got the skin's underlayer, the dermis. You have blood vessels. You have fat cells in the subdermis. You also have bone and muscle and nerve tissue. These all need to be produced by different stem cells following a different pattern. And if you disrupt that underlying pattern then there's no template for the stem cells to follow, so they don't easily regenerate the missing body part. Now, this isn't true in all organisms, because if we go to simpler animals, and there are animals like a salamander, small lizards, if they lose a body part, say a predator comes along and accidentally, or or the, the animal has to lose the end of its tail or it loses a leg, it can regrow it. And this is because these simpler animals do have stem cells capable of rebuilding a new body plan almost from scratch. And there are some worms where if you chop off just a tiny fraction of their head, the remaining bit of their head can then grow a new worm, for example. So it's not a given in biology that you can't regenerate, but in humans we have had to make a compromise. Our high complexity and our slow growth and our hot metabolism, etc., mean that we are not in a position to regrow missing body parts, but other animals can. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Theo in Plumstead, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question for Chris. Um, if, if there's a speed of light, why is there no speed of darkness? I'll listen on the radio. <laughs> Hello, Theo. Well, the answer is that uh, darkness is what there is when there is no light. Um, 
it, we, had, we were talking about this the other day because someone was asking me what colour is black and the answer is that black is the absence of any colour. If you want to do a good party trick, hold up a piece of paper, like a white piece of paper at the dinner table and then hold up a red or a green or a spotty piece of paper and invite your guests at the dinner table, exciting conversations happen around my dinner table of course, to tell you <laughs> which of these pieces of paper has the most colour in it. Everyone will pick the red or the green or the spotty one. It's the white one because the white one is giving all of the colours of visible light which when we view them together we see white light um, the individual colors are only there because the surface is absorbing all other colors and it is reflecting back exclusively the color we see so if you see a red piece of paper that's because all the red all of the non-red light is being absorbed only the red is being reflected back to you if you have a piece of paper that looks black, the reason it looks black is because no light or much less light is being reflected back to your eye. The paper is absorbing it all. And that's why solar panels look black, because they are made from chemicals that are carefully chosen to absorb all of the light that they can, because the energy that they want to absorb is in the light. So if you reflect any light, you're losing energy. So they look black because they're returning to your eye the least amount of light possible. Thank you, Chris. Loazi, good morning. What's your question for the Naked Scientist? Hello? Go ahead, Loazi. Okay, yeah, I'd like to ask the Naked Scientist, is there a link between insomnia and the, the, the lagginess of, of substance abuse? Okay, so substance abuse and insomnia, yes, they definitely can be linked. And the reason is that one, some of the substances that people abuse include substances that make you wake up and amphetamines, methamphetamines, crystal meth, etc., these have an enormously enlivening effect on the nervous system. They strongly and powerfully stimulate the immune system, and this can make people be very, very alert or over-aroused. Um, also, people can suffer withdrawal symptoms that can make it very difficult for them to relax or sleep. Also, if people are abusing substances because they have underlying mental health problems, then often associated with those is anxiety and depression, and this in and of itself is associated with poor sleep and sleep disruption, as is psychosis. So, uh, yes, substance abuse, which has a risk for all of the above, um, can also be intrinsically linked to people sleeping badly. Rueda, hello. Hello. Uh, go ahead, Rueda. Um, I wanted to know, you're in a stationary vehicle, like a robot, and the car next to you pulls off. Why does it feel as if you're moving backwards? <laughs> you can do this on <laughs> trains as well. It's, it's a weird sensation until your brain realises that you're being fooled. And it's because of the, the frames of reference. You're sitting in, say, a train carriage or in your car. You see the car moving away next to you. Your brain thinks, because normally when you move, if you get up and, and walk somewhere, the world flows past your eyes. So your brain's interpretation is, well, I must be moving because the, the world is passing me. And because we've evolved over millions of years that that's how our visual system works, that when, when we see things passing us, it's because we're moving, our visual system automatically jumps to the conclusion that if we see the world going past us, we must be in motion. And it's only then when you do a double take and realise, ah, oh, no, I, I see another point of reference now out of the other window of the car and that's not moving, so I'm not moving, and then your brain realises its mistake. And it's all part of the prediction that your brain does to, to keep the world processed and, and presented to your consciousness as rapidly as possible. So your brain's almost doing guesswork to work out what's happening to you to keep you appraised, and occasionally it uh, guesses wrong. 
Okay, let's take some questions from social media, Chris. Yes, one. Um, someone says, can you please ask Chris, why is it that we instinctively and habitually put a finger in our mouth if it is slammed on the door? I think this is because of something which was invented by the scientists Melzack and Wall in the 1960s, and this is the gate theory of pain. What, what they suggested, and it seems to be true, is that when you injure a part of your body, the injury, pain, is being signalled to the nervous system through a bunch of very tiny nerve fibres of low calibre. And what they, what they do is go into the spinal cord and they register that pain with various pain pathways in your spinal cord. At the same time, the big nerves that convey sensations like fine touch, stroking and uh, sucking on the finger they go into the spinal cord and they can turn off the flow of pain. So when we injure a body part and we rub it better or suck it or caress it to make it feel better, that's because you're activating these bigger low threshold nerves and they are inhibiting the pain pathways and making it feel more comfortable for you. Vasco, good morning. Hi, good morning, Eusebius. Good morning. Go ahead, Chris is listening. Yeah, um, I need to know when I'm driving, then I kind of zone out. I don't know how I end up at my destination, but I wasn't thinking about driving. I'm thinking of other things, but I just end up at my destination safe and sound. How does that work? I will listen on the radio for the answer. Nice question. Chris? I hope his insurance company isn't listening to this because (laughs) (laughs) he could find his premiums going up with statements like, when I'm driving, I zone out. I'm just joking, Vasco. This happens to everyone, actually. And... Many, many people will say they get in the car, they're driving somewhere, their thoughts become absorbed in what they've got to do at work, what they've got to do when they go shopping, got to pick the kids up from school, and then they realise they've gone through 15 sets of traffic lights, hopefully when the lights are green, round the roundabout, turned left, parked the car, got out. How on earth did I get here? And this is another example of the amazing way that the brain works because when we become familiar with something doing something a lot of that processing is shunted out of the direct consciousness and it's executed at a lower than conscious level and it becomes almost reflex and this is exactly what happens when you watch very good sports people playing if you watch the tennis of Wimbledon in the summer in the UK then what you'll see is that these people are actually returning balls and the balls are moving so quickly I mean some of these people are are actually uh, serving at 120 miles an hour the balls are coming at them over the net faster than their conscious brain can actually perceive that. But the unconscious brain is able to process movement very rapidly, and so they are presenting those movements onto the, onto the response parts of their brain and putting their arm in the right place, the racket at the right trajectory, and making the swing with just the right timing to hit the ball and return it and return it with accuracy. It's the same with driving, really, because your, your brain is taking all that visual information, feeding it through the circuits that you've learned now. You become very good at driving, so you're good at generating almost like those, those reflex manoeuvres and you only invoke your consciousness, which is slow and laborious and tiring to do when you absolutely need to. Okay, we can squeeze in one or two more questions. Let's see how many we can get in. We've got five minutes left. Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Hello. Thanks for waiting, Jenny. We're very well. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for your patience. What do you want to ask the naked scientist? Well, I've gone on to this vaping thing, which, which I find is so much better than smoking, and I really don't want to go back to smoking. I know that vaping also is not wonderful, but, um, you know, I, it's better than, than doing the other one. All I want to know is, 
is it true that if you vape, you get popcorn lungs? That, that this is the next <laughs> bloody awful thing. That, now, now you're going to die of popcorn lungs. <laughs> I, I wanted you. to just ask the native scientist. Thank you, true? Jenny. I don't even know what popcorn lungs okay. are. What, <laughs> right. what is that? Hello, Jenny. Uh, the story that Jenny's referring to is that when people began to investigate vaping, and for people not in the know, vaping is where you have an electronic cigarette which takes chemicals that you put into it. They use a hot element which is electrically heated to produce a vapour that you breathe in and this includes nicotine from the chemicals that you put into the vaping cigarette. You breathe this vapour in and uh, it gives you the same rush of nicotine as if you were smoking but you're not critically breathing in things which are the products of combustion which a cigarette would produce, many of which cause cancer. But Many of these vaping fluids are flavoured to give them an attractive aroma and to make them a bit of fun. And it turned out that one particular flavour that was being used is the same flavour that's used to produce popcorn in popcorn and make popcorn taste nice. And uh, unfortunately, there is a case in the medical textbooks of people who worked in a popcorn factory in America developing a phenomenon called popcorn lung because exposure day after day after day to these chemicals in the cooking popcorn made these people develop an emphysematous change. They developed big holes in their lungs, emphysema, and this is thought to be an inflammatory reaction secondary to this popcorn chemical. Because it's in a vaping cigarette, people are therefore highlighting this as a risk and saying maybe you shouldn't put that into e-cigarettes. <coughs> um, but what we don't know is whether many of the other flavours may also have a consequence. So what we do know is vaping is definitely better for you than smoking and it will do less damage to your lungs, but uh, you really ideally want to be breathing in nothing apart from clean air if you possibly can. Take one from our SMS line, Chris. Here's one from Cherise who wants to know how well now do we understand stuttering, particularly in those people who have um, st- stutter and seems to be, as I'm doing right now, inconsistent. So you stutter quite badly on one occasion and the next day you have a greater fluency of speech. Well, it's been studied for a very long time and people don't really understand because it's very hard to do experiments on people. Um, All you can do is observe what happens to them. You can't intervene and do things in people's brains very often. You do occasionally get the chance with people who are having brain surgery, for example, but very often it's very hard to do these sorts of experiments. What we think is going on is that in people who stutter, there is some kind of monitoring system or circuit in the brain where people are paying too much attention to what they're trying to say and this is feeding back on the production of speech and it's interrupting it. You can do this in yourself. If you uh, ever go into a radio studio and you get yourself fed back to yourself with about a half a second delay, you will find it's nearly impossible to speak because you keep on hearing yourself coming back with a critical delay and it makes it almost impossible to concentrate. Now, it might be that in people who have uh, a stutter that there is an over-amplification of that circuit in the brain, that feedback loop, and people begin to pay too much attention to what they're saying rather than saying it, and this triggers the stutter. Because what we do know is that in some stutterers, not all, but in, in many, if you play white noise to people and prevent them listening to what is coming out of their mouth, they can speak very clearly and they do not stutter. And so it may well be that learning to suppress that pathway in the brain and stop you monitoring your own feedback may actually help people. But at at the moment, I'm not aware of there being a a magic cure. It's something people have to to learn various breathing techniques and relaxation techniques to overcome it. Because what we do know is that stress makes all of these sorts of situations worse. And if people then become stressed about speaking, then 
because they're worried about stuttering, it tends to mean that they focus on not becoming stressed, so they become more stressed, and it feeds back on itself, and, and the whole problem gets mm. worse. Chris, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Have it's a beautiful pleasure. seven days ahead. We'll do it again next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. There was this week's edition of The Naked Scientist. And, of course, we will podcast it as we do every week when we have Chris on. It's half past ten. Here's the latest in EWN headlines. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.